If you listen to the intro, we call this an industry under pressure, which of course we mean figuratively, but some things are actually pressurized, and we sure don't want them flying apart. So today we talk about the latest innovations for a thing called asset integrity. An industry under pressure, innovation in its finest hour. This is the Oil & Gas Technology Podcast, where sharp minds reveal the brilliance and sheer determination turning great ideas into new realities. Hear about how it happens in real life with your host, Michael O'Sullivan. The views of the host are expressly his own and should not be construed as the views of Nutanix or any other corporation, consortium, governing body, or interplanetary federation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another exciting and thrilling episode. Before we get to the guest today, I do want to remind everybody... Please leave us some reviews, leave us good reviews, bad reviews, whatever kind of reviews reflect the way you feel about the show. But that's the way that we find out how you feel about the show. And so if you don't like it, tell us what you think we should be doing differently. And if you do like it, please be sure and tell all your friends. Also, I want to give a, a quick thank you to our sponsor, Cognite. I'll say a little bit more about them later toward the end. And... Our guest today, I'm sitting here in the fabulous Canon in West Houston, our usual spot for podcasts, and I'm with Floyd Baker from a company called Antea, which is spelled A-N-T-E-A. So if you're looking, if you're busy Googling them right now, that's how you, that's how you spell it, but, but you say it, Antea. And Floyd, thanks for being here. Really appreciate you venturing out into the city today. To, well, actually, you had quite a long drive, right? That's about an hour. An not hour too far. from not too uh, hour and fifteen minutes or so. Yeah. Well, and so it used to be that if you had an hour and fifteen minute drive in Houston, you might just be six miles down the road. That's correct. But right now, <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit easier to go. Although I did, I went to Hobby Airport yesterday to drop somebody off, and I was going from from the northwest side of town, and there was real traffic. I mean, it was pretty. It was actually congested in some places. Wow, I haven't so, I haven't seen much congestion myself lately. I come up again from uh, Lake Conroe, so it's back the way the back way through one forty nine, two forty nine. So not much traffic out that way. Yeah, yeah. No, it was this, was this was the usual like I-10 headed into downtown and oh, then coming yeah. out the other side. And it was it was busy. So I, it's weird because it's like I never thought that I would feel good about seeing traffic, but like it feels normal, right? Like, yeah. It's like a return to starting like, to feel something starting like to normal. feel like something normal. Yeah. Okay, so Antea, as I recall, I think when we chatted earlier, you, you, you pretty much run North America, the Americas. That's your gig, right? With uh, with the company. Yeah, so I'm the vice president of Antea USA, and I support our whole North American team, which is based in Canada. Our main office is in Padua, Italy. Okay. That's where our headquarters is, and that's where we were founded there 31 years ago. So, okay, so 31 yeah. years ago. So let's a little bit of history about the company, because in our we were talking earlier, it sounded like it's an interesting history. And also maybe tell us a little bit about, I know that you're into asset management, asset integrity, maybe a little background on the company. And as a discipline, what does that mean? Because it's probably obvious to some people and not so much to others. And, you know, and where does it show up in the oil and gas industry? Sure, sure, Michael. Asset integrity, I guess, came from, at least here in the U.S., from early 1980s and when OSHA started getting involved with mechanical integrity in plants because there were a lot of uh, catastrophes and a lot of people died, a lot of environmental impact, a lot of cost to, to property. So OSHA got involved and started developing a mandate that required facilities to inspect and test their assets and ensure that they're mechanically sound so that they don't come from together. Right. Yeah. And that's where it stems from. Antea 
31 years ago, got involved with Exxon in developing a way to manage that kind of data. How do you keep up with it? How do you know when you've performed an inspection? When is the next one due? Because they have to happen on some interval. And so they started there with Exxon 30, 31 years ago, and from that is, has evolved into most of the European mar- market and much of the globe, actually. So 31 years ago, that's, what is that, 1989, yes. right? Yes, yes. So- not everybody, maybe not everybody. We did have computers back in 1989, right? There was there was data back just then. Was, yeah. Just was, yeah. Just barely. Right about right? then. Right about yeah. then. Yeah. So, so that's quite a history looking at that data and thinking about how to manage it. You fast forward 31 years and what is it? So asset integrity, I think we understand the, the notion of we don't want things flying apart and crumbling right. and things like that. Where's the hot spot for this or hot spots for this in the oil and gas industry today? When you go out and you're talking to customers, where's this showing up most of the time where people are really concerned about asset integrity and managing that data? So it's predominantly pressure envelope, but you know, over the 31 years, we've kind of evolved into a more a broader space of assets and not just looking at the ones that the law says you have to look at. It's actually looking at every asset in the facility. So, you know, it moves into more reliability-centered maintenance type approach. You're not just concerned about what the law tells you. You're concerned about making your assets more reliable and available and improve a return on their on your investment through their life cycle. Right. So we're talking about refineries, probably, yeah. right? A lot of, a lot of uh, refineries, refineries, petrochemical plants, petrochemical plants. fertilizer plants, pharmaceutical oh. plants. Right. Just any asset-intense environment that has pressurized equipment. Right. And so the, in the oil and gas industry, we got refineries, we got processing stations, compression stations, and we got... What about like on the drilling and development side? We yeah. have a lot of installations on offshore equipment because really it's the same thing there on the top side. So it's right. the same thing there. It's pressure vessels, pipes, and they all... FPSOs. That's right. right. Yeah, yeah. They all have tendencies to corrode and damage mechanisms affect them over time. And what we do is provide the platform that one can perform inspections and tests and keep up with all that data, manage scheduling intervals of inspection, and then, of course, manage maintenance activities as a result of repairs, as a result of repairs or replacing the assets yeah, yeah, yeah. before they come from together. So so we're out there, we're talking about a lot of like pipes and valves and things like that, pressurized yeah. stuff. So those aren't computers. So right, what's right. producing the data? Where's the data come from? So the data comes from, through history, it's been from people. Humans go out, they visually inspect, they document what they see. These people are usually certified by some internationally accredited certification body so so that they're certified to to actually know what they're looking for and, and what to do about it. Others are technicians that are certified to perform certain examinations, if it's ultrasonic tests, if it's radiography. Everything you do in a hospital just about to, you know, test people the same technology is used in, out there in the industry to test these pressure vessels, reactors, tanks, you name it. Using that kind of technology and what the platform does is provides a space for that data to live and also analyze. Gotcha. Okay, so which reminds me, I'll back up for a second because mm-hmm. I did want to talk about, you have kind of an interesting story about how you got into this on the commercial side, right? On like the vendor side of the business because sure. you used to be a customer. Right. Sure. Yeah. So, so tell us a little bit about how did you become so passionate about about this business? So, you know, I, I actually started my journey in asset integrity management 39 years ago. Started out as one of those 
in, Eight years in before there were computers, right? Right, yeah. there were no computers yeah, at yeah, that time. Yeah. As a matter of fact, I remember the, I was using a typewriter that had memory card that you could swap from one typewriter to the next, and that was our computer back so then. So we're, we're going to pause for just a minute so that sure. all the younger members of the audience can Google typewriter. Yeah, yeah, out, give them just a minute. That is. <laughs> Comes right. up, it's, it's right under analog clock. That's, That's where you correct. find. That's yeah. where and you then find before that. that was smoke signals. Right, exactly. Right, right. <laughs> shortly, just shortly before. So 39 years ago, you got started in this. I'm sorry. Sure. Go ahead with yeah, you. no. Um, and it was a fun-filled world of learning all kinds of new technology and in terms of testing technology, ultrasonics, radiography, and, and I really enjoyed it. It was about 11 years into that, that journey with that company that I started up with, and I realized, hey, this is a career, and I'm enjoying it. Yeah. So I started doing some specialized school and went back to school and got a you know mechanical engineering degree and then whole lot of other training. But I could tell then, you know, it was my world. It's where I needed to be. And so I went to work as a contractor as an, one of those inspectors later and, and stayed four years out there. And this was when these new regulations were being in the process of being mandated. And so these new certifications that we just spoke of a moment, moment ago, they became a requirement. If you're going to go out and inspect the equipment, you have to prove that you know what you're talking about. So right, you have to take right. these huge tests. So did all those tests, took all, got all those different certifications, and then I went to work for the owner-user, the end-user, the actual customer at the time was Lyondale, and then later on Phillips, mm-hmm. and then Chevron Phillips. And, and so I was on the customer end at that time, and these platforms we used different types of platforms. We did a lot of research, determined which ones to use, and and we'd use these platforms to manage all of our data and help keep their due dates in mind. Again, this was mostly around statutory requirements, so you don't want to be late. Yeah, sure, sure. So uh, that's what we used then. So I then moved back out into the commercial world, and here I am now on the software side of that platform, and and those end users now, you know, they're our customers. So my background with managing the data is because we had to manage the data, of course. And and one thing I did learn when coming to Antea was I've never seen a platform like it because it actually provides much more than just managing the data. It's the data analytics. It's the visualization is the key. Yeah. You know, people have an attention span. Eight-second attention span is what uh, I think Microsoft wrote here yeah. In, a, in an article I read yeah. a year or so ago. And it's ago. going down. And it's yeah. going down. Yeah. I heard I heard a few months ago, it's the, it's the attention span of a goldfish. Four seconds. Sure. Yeah, right. So, you know. It's half be, the lifespan of a goldfish, right? That's it's right. pretty much, yeah. That's where, but, that's where we're ending up. Yeah. That's right. <laughs> so the best way to, for someone to really get immersed into what they're doing is through visualizations. And with these platforms, we've cre- created the way to, to visualize data through 3D models, through 2D PNIDs, processing instrumentation diagrams, or process flow diagrams, 2D process flow diagrams, even even through point cloud data, so digital twin. Right, right. All right, so I got to ask, 39 years ago when you were getting into this, if somebody had like put you in a little time machine or if somebody had told you, you know, 39 years from now, 30 years from whatever it is, how long with that? 39 years. No, how oh, long with that? 31. So, all right. So if somebody were to say, this is what you're going to be able to do 30 years from now, that would I'm sure it had to blow your mind, right? If you would have did anybody back then have the the sort of vision that said someday this is what we're going to be able to do? I don't believe so. I don't believe yeah. so. I, I, you know, then I think the technology focus was more on ways to detect the kinds of damage. You know, the crack detection or corrosion d- detection, and it wasn't later until you gather all that data you realize, well, oh my goodness, where do I put this? You know, it ends up in file cabinets all over the place, and 
So this is where, you know, the first thought of uh, data management in terms of computers was then, you know, you got to put it somewhere. Right. So this is a common theme across the industry, right? Especially in any operational environments, which is, which is we've been producing data for a long time. The problem of how to produce the data that's rele- that, that, that reflects reality, I think it's fair to say we've, we've pretty well solved that, right? Like we know how to do that. Sure. Right? We're not, we're not yeah. still looking for new innovations about how to actually get the reading that we need or the measurement or whatever it is, right? Yeah. That we know how to do and we've been doing it for a long time. The thing is that the theme across the industry is, okay, now how do we take that data and use it and use all of it, as my friend Cesar Bravo from Honeywell likes to say, actually use all the data to do things that we weren't able to do before. And that really comes to this topic of digitalization, digital transformation. You mentioned digital twin, which factors into that a whole lot. So what do you see? So you're out there working with people in these environments and solving these kinds of problems. What do you see as the priorities right now? I mean, you know, people are trying to do a lot of different things, a lot of places, but given the current pressures of the oil and gas industry, the financial pressures, the pressures to find more ways to work remotely, to control things from far away, the transition toward new energy, like all of that is pushing on the industry. So, and that bubbles up, you know, depending on where you are, which discipline you're, you're looking at, that bubbles up as different types of really important initiatives that people are chasing. So in yeah. your world, what do you see the things that are popping up as like, we got to get this figured out? So to be honest with you, I think most recently COVID has taught us that we have to find ways to manage our business, even if we can't be there. So creating this digital platform and being able to access this information from anywhere on a web-based platform is key. You know, one of the most, some of the things we're hearing from our customers is, you know, we had everybody, engineers, all of our subject matter experts, planners, everybody working from home. And the only people in these plants were what they're calling essential personnel. Well, how do you give these essential personnel the tools they need to be able to do their job, you know, if they don't have access to all this, these subject matter experts? Well, in fact, they do. They do through this digital platform because you have two things going on. One is the guys, the essential workers out there in the field, they have information at their fingertips through their smartphones, through their tablets, and they can access this information to make the decisions they need to make in real time. But they also have access due to the ability to be able to just look to talk with someone and talk to a subject matter expert, show them what you're looking at, and and actually have input from a subject matter expert that might be sitting at home at the kitchen table with his laptop in front of him. Yeah, this is a big thing in... I mean, again, across the industry, looking for ways to, you know, we see this even in exploration, right? You're working in one part of the world and what you really want is for your colleague who's in another part of the world to take a look at this seismic or this reservoir model or whatever it is and be able to comment on it and collaborate with you, right? Without like emailing spreadsheets back and forth or screen captures or images, right? Like, sure. so, so that's the kind of collaboration that, that you're talking about, right? Is that, that's important in these same types of, in these operational environments as well, right? Very, very important. Collaboration is key here because again, you've got these, these guys out here in the, in the plant that are diligently trying to keep things moving forward and, and keep things running and keep this, you know, the facility profitable, right? And that's, that's what the operators want. Well, then you get all these other subject matter experts that might be considered non-essential and they're not even there and available. So having this electronic means to collaborate and to provide that kind of support from afar, that's key. So you're really talking about speeding up the time to, because you mentioned something very important there, which is 
keep the facility profitable, right? right? And everybody may not realize, but these types of facilities, the difference between profitable and profitable is it can be a slim, a small amount of time, right? Right. Disruptions, outages exactly. can go from, you know, profitable to not profitable in a few hours. And that kind of sets you back, you know, weeks or months. So how are you, I hear this all the time with other people I talk to, we were having in a refinery, we were having four hours of downtime per quarter, you know, and so to those of us, you know, following along at home, that doesn't sound so bad. Oh, right. Four hours a quarter, that's not so bad. My cable goes out that often, right? Right, right? But four hours a quarter in a refinery is a major loss. By giving people these fancy tools and dashboards and stuff, how do you impact that to actually make, to improve the profitability of the facility like over time? So one thing, you can actually manage your resources better. So it makes you, of course, a lot more efficient in terms of your maintenance activities. You can also use these special modules that we've developed within our platform that calculate risk based on a whole lot of factors, everything from the damages to financial impact to environmental impact. You can actually calculate those risks and understand where you need to focus those maintenance dollars. So now you're not just throwing money at a water tank that might spring a leak in leak water. You're actually focusing the energy based on the risk numbers. Right. So you're talking about preventative sorts of and predicting in advance, where do you, where do I need to go spend this money? What do I need to pay attention to? What about, so you're heading off failures in advance. Are you doing anything to speed up when there is a failure or there's a problem, an issue or whatever, what about like speeding up the turnaround time to get things back online? So the transparency of, of a platform of this nature makes it to where everyone can see where the problems arise. You can use these risk calculators to determine where the risk is in a facility. You can actually visualize that through a 3D model or a digital twin. You can visualize that risk in that twin color-coded. So you see, here's where my high-risk assets are. And this is where you focus your energy. Now, if you think your turnaround planning, well, you know you have turnarounds scheduled, and they're usually based on these inspection requirements-driven schedules. Mm -hmm. So you know where your, your, most of your work activity is going to be. You know, Think of it this way. Even your planners can, can, through a digital twin, can actually plan for things like scaffolding. How high does it need to be? How wide does it need to be? I got a heavy lift. Where can I put my crane in this asset-intense environment, you know? Yeah. Where do I park a crane to do this heavy lift? All these and things you can, can happen. You can kind of work with different what-if scenarios, sure. right, in advance. So we're talking about digital twin, which is one of those buzzwords that I think it's becoming less buzzwordy and more concrete. And I mean, a couple of years ago, it was one of those words that sometimes made people roll their eyes, and now they're starting yeah. to understand. I actually worked, not too long ago, I worked for a company that had some software that was focused on digital twins for, for in a different part of the industry, mm -hmm. but subsea planning and engineering. And so people, I was at an event one time and this woman came up and put a microphone on my face and said, she was from one of the industry, you know, publications. And she said, well, tell us what you mean by a digital twin, right? Like, like in five words or less, <laughs> tell us go. what you mean. And I think my answer was something like, well, you know, when we talk about how to use, you know, using a digital twin, what we mean is whatever it is that you're going to do, it's, it's big and it's complex and it has various outcomes. So do it digitally first before you do it in the real world so you can find out what's going to happen and maybe you want to change your mind about something. Is that how you guys think of it when you, when you go out there and are thinking about how to use digital twins? Is that essentially the approach? So the digital twin for us is not only the visual aspect of it and being able to see something that is a representation of what you're actually going to be working on, 
but also it's a means of being able to, to plan those activities beforehand. You think of the safety implications here, you know, you can actually use this 3D model or digital twin to actually do all your safety walkthroughs, get a first pass safety walkthrough. You're still going to do them when you get your permitting to, to do the work in the physical work in the job. But if you know things in advance, you know, if you know you've right. got some clashes with the scaffolding requirements or rope access activities, you'll know in advance it's going to be a huge cost savings. You're going to be a lot more fluid during the outage, thereby reducing the window that outage requires. Right. And you've fleshed out your risk and you've identified the variables that you're not sure. It's kind of like the old notion of a dry run. Yeah. Except in this case, exactly. you know, you're talking about, so, you know, somebody might ask, well, why is this a new idea? Why haven't we been doing this all along? Right. Why haven't we always used digital twins if it's that cool? I think the answer has something to do with the ability. I mean, you're the technology about, wasn't here yet. It's not a small amount of data. It's a huge amount of data. It's a massive amount of data. And when you think about all the things that are required. So so in your platform, you know, you're managing all that data and then you're putting it together in a way that essentially simulates the real world operation. Right. And it's it's bidirectionally linked to all the data that's associated to any given asset. Right. Is is I just spent a month getting the model right. Mm -hmm. Right. Now I want to use the model and something in the real world changes and yeah. I got to spend another month like getting my model right again. Right? Yeah. That's the that's sometimes the concern that people have. So that isn't so complex nowadays with the compute that we have and the model itself, you know, the laser scanning it's it's almost a commoditized business for real and it, it really didn't cost much to go out if you if you say change some piping and you had to reroute it. It really didn't cost that much to go out and update your point cloud. And as far as processing the model we have tools we've developed over that 31 years that actually we can create a you know the model in relatively quick order. I'm so talking. I don't need like a room full of these people called data scientists like no. scrubbing through CSV files trying to find the right Correct, stuff you do not. But that gets to another thought that I had, which is, okay, you guys have this solution. You're not the only ones to have things of this nature, right? There's other sorts of people out there innovating along the lines of using digital twins in the interest of overall digitalization. But not everybody is being successful in these initiatives, right? I know I've talked to people at various operators and service companies who they're working on these things. They've been working on these things. There are, they seem to hit obstacles. They seem to get tripped up. And sometimes they just get held up in committee, but sometimes they have, they have real obstacles. What do you see that makes this not so easy to do sometimes? And how do you advise people to pursue this type of initiative and, and be successful? Because, you know, the one thing about these digital transformation initiatives is un unless you actually get the business value out of them that you intended, they're not really yeah. doing you a whole lot of good, right? Sure, sure. So, you know, we, after... As many years as we've been doing this, as Ante has been doing this, we've collected a lot of data, done a lot of research. And what we've learned is that it's a matter of scalability. And that's the key here is, is keeping a platform scalable such that implementation costs are you get an ROI in 30 to 60 days in the first layer of phase of implementation. And we've managed to do that. This is what we do repeatedly. And that level is the early stages. So what you're thinking is you, you don't want to, when you look at the overall thing and say, look, overall plant and facility, and you're thinking about how do you digitalize everything and create that kind of access to that information. And it's, it's huge. It seems overwhelming. But if you think about it in three phases, and the first phase is really just digitizing all the assets and then creating that asset registry that connects to all of that data. Now you've got one touch access to data. If I touch on a pressure vessel here, I'm going to have every bit of data that is associated with that pressure vessel. It's design information, it's operating information, it's space on the tr 
PNID, it's, it's 3D, all of this information that's associated to it, I'm going to have it. So now you've actually got a functional database now. It's working. Now, then the next layer is the bling. It's okay, called, so, so hold on, because mm-hmm. that, that first part you said, you said it, it sounded really simple when you said it. Sure. <laughs> what, okay. How long, you know, if I've got a facility where I've not done anything in that regard, how much of my life am I going to spend? How long do I need to keep my bosses convinced that I'm doing the right thing right. before an implementation like that is usable? So, well, again, the first thing you'd have to think about is where's the data coming from? You know, you as the, as the plant guy, and you're responsible for all that data. You figure out where it's coming from. And, and once we understand that, we have ways to migrate that data electronically. So we're not talking a lot of time here. Not a whole lot of time. It can be even Excel spreadsheets. We know of companies out there that still use Excel spreadsheets to manage that kind of data and calculate their next intervals and all that kind of good stuff. So, you know, we can migrate that data simply. Creating or developing your asset registry is, is the key. Some of these plants are 50, 60 years old. All and, of them, I think, are 50, 60 years old. Yeah, yeah. you're yeah. right. Yeah. And so they really don't know how many what assets they have out there in any, any given silo. So what they try to do is they try to create an asset list through their ERP or their EAM, their Energy Resource Planning right, right. Legacy Systems. And that feels pretty good to them. But in most cases, they find out it's not, it's not all inclusive. So what we do is we've developed a technology, an electoral property, that actually we can ingest the PNIDs, the process instrumentation and diagrams, ingest those, and we actually attach or grab a hold of all the asset tags that are on that PNID. Right, because they already have that in the Yeah, the, the, the system, it already right? exists. And, right. and in most cases, if it's on your PNID, it's out in the plant. Right. If it's out in the plant, it's on your PNID, right? It's part of the process. Ideally. Right. Ideally, we, <laughs> yeah. we know that's not the case 100% of the right. time, but at least that's the most accurate start. Right. Then you start that correlation, and we have tools that do this too, to correlate that legacy system data to the actual PNID registry, and we close the gaps with that. So gotcha. these things happen with, with the technology that we've developed. They happen rather quickly. So if, I've, so if I've convinced somebody to give me a little bit of budget to spend on this, right, like within 90 days, I could start seeing... Some, yes. Some results, some tangible results. Yes. That, uh, yes, right. you could. So that's part one. You were going on to, you know, part two. Now that I have the, now that I have my touch screen in front of me where I can actually see everything and all the data is connected, then what happens? Well, the next is integration. So you want to integrate with your ERP or your EAM so that you're actually creating one version of the truth here. You don't want to create two separate data silos. Your ERP is one. This asset integrity management platform is another. You don't want to do that. So we, we have tools that we actually integrate those two. We can actually integrate those two with the help of the owner user because they actually own that EAP or EAM. Right, right. And so, so that's the other layer. The other layer is the visualizations. Then you start thinking about things like the 3D drawings. You start thinking about things like digital twin and the bi-directional linking between all these visualizations. And those may take a little longer, but keep in mind, you've already got your database and it's working and people are, you're getting a return on your investment already. So that ROI is actually helping support, financially support the implementation of the bling that you want to add, the the actual visualization part. So that's amazing stuff. I'm just sitting here thinking about how, you know, I started my career in IT kind of by accident back in, not quite as far back as the beginning of Antea, but not too long after that. Mm -hmm. And I think about, and I was, you know, always worked a lot in applications and integration and enterprise and you know and all the different things came along and you know and the enterprise service bus and the, all this 
all these different ways to try to integrate and connect things. And the stuff that you're talking about here, very matter-of-factly doing, would have been months-long projects for us back then to just try to, you know, and even 15 years ago. When you start talking about needing to interconnect systems, right, and move data around, like that was no, that was not for the faint of heart. That was, those were big, complicated projects with lots of uncertainty, and they always took three times longer than, so... So what you're saying is the technology that we have today and the things that you guys have developed, you can actually accelerate all of this where you get results quickly, right? You got to tear down those data silos and and 80% of our customers now are integrated with their legacy systems. Yeah, it still kind of blows my mind to think that these things are happening this fast, but so much of the stuff that we see now that's available, the low-code application development environments, right? You know, was talking with those guys recently at Appy and they've got this kind of stuff. All these different tools that are, I mean, you can... You can build applications in hours. You can connect things in in fairly short order. So, I mean, but where the money is, is, okay, now what are you going to do with all that stuff, right? How are you, you, all that data, how are you going to use it to drive? And you get into a lot of things related to, I mean, you guys must also, it's not just about wiring up the stuff, right? It's, you got probably got some organizational change in there that you need to deal with and educating people on how to work in this new paradigm, right? I, I can't imagine it comes naturally to people. It is a change, but if you think about it, if you think about it, it's not really changing changing the work. It's just changing how they do it. So there is a, an education process in there, and that's more or less you know using a platform to make your job easier. The other part of that is maybe your job changed. Maybe you don't you don't go and do certain things that you used to do. You have to go out in the field and take a reading right. or do something like that. And maybe now it's interacting or connected to a remote sensor, a remote sensing device. So now you may not be going out in that harsh environment to take those readings. You're actually just looking at those readings through the digital twin. Right. So do you find that people embrace this pretty well? I mean, you know, what we now call the OT environment has not been one historically where people get real excited about somebody coming in with a new idea, right? Yeah. So adoption was really tough, in my opinion, industry-wide. And through this whole process, I've noticed, uh, you know, first you had IT and and OT and those guys didn't love didn't, each other. They right? didn't really yeah. love each other, right? <laughs> yeah. Right? Right? Yeah. But you know now you're starting to see they're tar- starting. Those guys are starting to integrate yeah. and start to talk to each other because they see the value. Right. You can see the value. So yeah, so you're getting and and like you said, these world events are making it more important for us. The the remote collaboration, the mobility, things like that. Yeah. You know, you're enabling a lot of that. We're kind of getting up against it time wise, but this is really it's fascinating stuff. I think it becomes more interesting when you try to keep in mind, you know, like listening to you talk about this stuff, we tend to dive into the cool computing technology part of it. But when you have, when you keep in mind that behind all that are like these real like pieces of equipment that are, you know, these, I mean, you you know, walk around a facility and this stuff, it's not a video game, right? It's like there's, there's real equipment moving real gases and liquids and there's valves and there's all this machinery that's doing all this stuff. That's the bringing together of the digitalization with that really just traditional factory sort of world is amazing to me, I think. So it's cool that you guys are out there and and it's very, it's prominent across the industry now. This is a big, it's a big emphasis. So it sounds like you're in the, you're in the right place. It's Um, exciting for us. It's fun, I guess. Is it fun? It's exciting time for us. Really fun. Again, you know, some of the things that are happening and then as fast as they're coming at us, you know, it's sometimes it's like drinking from a, from a fire hydrant, but. So, so it's directly from the hydrant, not even the hose. Yeah. Right, yeah. There you go. Right from the hydrant. <laughs> <laughs> that's even, 
<laughs> it's yeah. even more uh, yeah. even more daunting. So we're pretty much out of time. But if somebody wants to know more about you, about what you're doing, don't give out your phone number. But where's a good place to look? I would look at Antea.tech, our website. Okay, so you, you have a website that has like useful stuff on it. That's it's not always the case, right? So it's a brand new website, as a matter of fact. Okay, we just so went live with it a few months ago, and uh, we're we're pretty proud of it. Quite a bit of information there, and certainly ways you can reach out and and get a hold of myself or anyone on the team. Cool. I also wanted I forgot to mention, but you have kind of a cool project with HPE going on, right? That, yes. Uh, yeah. So a couple, just a few words about that, and and is there anywhere that people can learn more about what's going on with that? Yeah, so you can actually catch up with that on their website, on our website, and on TechSmart Chemicals' website. They're actually on the consortium, a part of the consortium for Refinery of the Future. I think CB Technologies is the integration lead on that on that project. And at that facility, they run the Antea web platform for their asset integrity management. And this is called Refinery of the Future, right? Is that ROTF, the, Refinery yeah, of the Future. Refinery of the, it yeah. has an acronym. Yeah, um, okay, does. cool. Everything has an acronym. And then if anybody wants to know more about you, you're on LinkedIn. I know because I already looked you up. Yes. So yeah. you are pretty easy to find. Floyd Baker, really appreciate you spending some time today making the drive here into the uh, urban jungle. And cool place here at Cannon, right? Yeah, so I love you it. Need to, I love you it. Need really to, uh, an interesting facility. I yeah, love so it. it's a great place to uh, We do a lot of events here. Just a few more words before we wrap up. I want to say again, thank you to our sponsor, Cognite. They are doing some amazing things with industrial data. So not too far removed from the world that you guys play in. Adding context, making it intuitive, making industrial data usable by people and applications. Really cool stuff. Look them up. Cognite. And also, we're still doing product reviews. So if you have any tech products that you want us to review, it has to be small enough to fit through the front door or at least the garage door. And we'll try it out and we'll review it and we'll and we'll talk about it on the show. Also, a uh, reminder to everybody about the street team. And the OGGN street team is a great way to get involved. A lot of good things happening around the industry there. They're not out on the physical streets right now. I don't think so much, but they're on the virtual streets. And Warren Spiewak is doing a great job leading that. There's a Facebook group and some other stuff. All of this will be in the show notes. And that is going to wrap it up for today. Appreciate everybody listening. And we are making sure that you don't get left behind one episode at a time. And here are the events on deck. Hey everybody, it's Savannah from OGGN, and here are the events on deck for December 2020. This month we only have three events, but if you'd like the full list, you can click the link in the show notes to sign up for our events newsletter. We send it out every month, and it includes more info about the events that I talk about here. We even include events that occur two months ahead of time, so if you're interested in always staying in the loop about oil and gas events, make sure to check that out. First up, we have our two OGGN live streams, and on the third, we have Moving Up in a Downturn, and on the eighth, we have Quality Management in a Down Economy. The only in-person event we have this month is the API and SPE Houston Chapter Luncheon about the rebuilding of the American oil field, which will be at the Petroleum Club on the 8th. Other than these events, OGGN may be hosting some more live streams this month, so make sure to check out our Facebook, LinkedIn, or our website for more information about any of the live streams we have coming up. If you have any questions about the events or any of our shows, make sure to reach out to me through my email in the show notes. That's all for December, and I hope you guys have a great month, and thanks for tuning in. Check us out next week for another entertaining and yet useful episode of Oil & Gas Tech Podcast, a production of the Oil & Gas Global Network. Learn more at OGGN.com.